Good morning, good morning, good morning. And I'm sure Mr. Kopp is going to correct me on this as well. By the way, our guest is Dan Kopp, but I'm sure he's going to correct me on this as well to let me know that sometimes people don't listen to this in the morning. But those of you who listen to it, I don't care what time of day it is. It's always morning someplace. So once again, good morning. So we have the pleasure today of speaking with Dan Kopp. Now, he's the person that gets you out your paper, pencils, and pens. You don't want to put notes in your computer. You want to write these down. So we have some writable moments, but you want to write it down so you can help lead your team to a better place, especially those of us in the nonprofit sector. I think you'll find his work interesting. But Dan is originally from Plattsville, Wisconsin. Now I know we all can't be from Denver, Colorado, the best place in the world, but we all can't be there, but that's where he's from. But after high school, he put his life and everything into the service of the United States Army. And he was a military police officer serving in Frankfurt, Germany, the Republic of, of Panama, and Fort Devens. Now, Dan served in various leadership roles in the military prior to transitioning into public education, where he taught and ultimately held several executive roles. Now, Dan practiced situational leadership which, while focusing, so he practiced in situational leadership while focusing on those he serves. In 2019, Dan, along with two partners, started Domenico Incorporated, Dynamico Incorporated and works as a compensation expert, helping employers make connections with their employees. This is why I say you guys want to get that, that paper and pencil, but he helps them make that connection with their employees, which saves time and money and helps them attract even better people. Now in 2022, Dan followed his, his passion and started leading like a Buffalo Incorporated and continues to coach and mentor and leads leaders, I'm sorry, We'll do that part over. In 2022, Dan followed his passion and started leading like a Buffalo Incorporated and continues to coach and mentor leaders across the country. All right. So now, Dan, you and I talked a little bit and I said, we'll go from start to finish and be no stopping and starting over again. So we'll do that little flub up in there so people know that no one's perfect and just get on and do the best you can. So we'll let that stand in there just for that reason. Well, Dan, thank you very much for hanging out with us today. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here talking to you this morning. Well, I want to start off with one of my stable questions. We're going to talk about your business and some of the past and some of the things you're doing. But I'd like to ask you, what is it about you that people don't know that's not really business related? I mean, what is it about you that you think, no, let me share that and let people get a better insight to you as a person? Well, I love to travel, and when we travel to different places, and I've traveled all over the uh, country, we've been to all 50 states, and I've lived in Europe, and I've traveled to the Caribbean, food is what is important to me. So oh, wherever we travel, yeah. I've got to find the best places to eat, and the you know where are the locals going to get their food and, and get off the beaten path, and I, I love eating, and I love traveling, so that's what well, I do. That's perfect because I think I'm with you. Um, so I've had two guests in a row that right up my alley. One was golfing and the other one was you traveling and being able to eat the food. I used to, um, I don't know if you do this too, but diners, drives, and dives. Yeah. I used to look at where where he has been and I tried to make a point to get to there until I went to a couple in Chicago that were just horrible. <laughs> I'm not going to do that anymore. So. I was, there's one in Kenosha, which is near me in Wisconsin. It was on his original um, series or his original season when he went out and found places 
to visit. It was one of the original ones. So I've gone to that place several times. Oh, see, that's good. That's good. So they stay up there. You know, um, one quick side note about that, and then we're done with that for a little bit. But, you know, they actually produced that show here in Denver. Really? So that's where they send all the tapes to and cut it up and put it all in there. So they do it right here. It's actually in Aurora, suburb of Denver. But it's, it's interesting to do that. My uh, ex-stepson, uh, uh, ex-wife, my stepson, he worked there. So it's right. kind of interesting to hear him talk about some of the rules that uh, he had for his personal work. Like, And I said, I don't believe it. But if you look at it, he only takes two bites of anybody's meal. He never takes more than that. And I'm looking at it and saying, well, okay, but there's different camera angles. So he explained it to me. Which to me kind of leads us a little bit into the direction I want to ask you about. Because in some of your work, you've got these tenants set up. And these tenants, like, his tenant was, okay, only two bites of every place I go. Then I can talk about them. But you have several tenants. You have nine of them. I'm going to ask you for all of them nine a little bit later. But one caught my attention right away. And that's the power of me leadership. Talk to me about that. Well, the overall overarching theme embedded in my approach to leadership is the power of me. And the me in that statement is the person who to whom I'm speaking, the other leader, because we've all got leadership potential. We all can be leaders. Um, just yesterday, I was on LinkedIn and I did a post about I've encountered so many people in my career who are in leadership positions and don't really think about the leadership that they're uh, responsible for, and then people who aren't in leadership positions who unknowingly exude leadership and stop day in day out. So I work with my clients, I work with people I, I mentor, coach, and talk to them about the power within, because we all have values, and we're having those values. We've all got skills, and you're different than I, and we can both can lead it, we can both embrace tenets that I supposed to. Um, I did for years. I heard from people my leadership stories about my comments like, you need to write a book. And my, re my response was always, you know, I have to pick up across the leadership. Dan, I'm going to hold you right there for a second so you don't keep on going. You're frozen and your audio is cutting in and out. Um, oh. I was looking looking at um, what's coming in, and we're well below the threshold. What I'm putting out, I should say. Um, but let me just take a couple other precautionary steps here. Um, I don't know if you have anything else running. Uh, email. No, I've got nothing. Like nothing running in the background. Okay, so it's funny you froze up there, but that's hmm. okay. All right. Good thing we didn't do this live, huh? <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, we're well below the threshold. This should not not on my issue at all. Okay, but you're good now. So, hmm. all right, you're moving again. Okay. So let's just pick up, if you don't mind. Let me ask the question about the power of me leadership, and then we can just pick up right there. And at seven thirty-six. Okay. So I know where to cut it out. Okay. So, Dan, when we talked about this idea of what Guy Fiore does and his power and what he does and how he sets up his programs, he has certain tenets that he follows. You have a tenet. You have nine of them. And I want you to talk about all nine of them later. But the number one one that hit me in my mind right away 
was one where you say the power of me leadership. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Uh, the power of me is basically an overarching concept about how I approach leadership. And when I work with my clients, whether it's through a mentoring, a coaching, or even a consulting lens in leadership, we talk about the innate skills and values everybody has. And then we harness those for good. So I work with my clients to identify not only who they are, because most mm -hmm. adults already know that, but why they are that person. And when you know the why behind your who, you're going to be a much better version of you and you're going to be able to find fit in life, whether it's employment, relationships, et cetera. So the power of me is the, the me in that statement is the, the leader in question, not me, but it's, it's everybody. We all have it within us to lead and everybody can lead just like everybody can learn. So um, that is the power of me. And under that overarching concept, I do have nine leadership tenants embedded in the book that I've got coming out. Okay. And I glad you explained that because the power of me, and I just want to maybe clarify for some folks to make sure that I'm on the right track here. So I'm asking you to coach me here. When you say the power of me, you're not really saying the power of me first person. You're just letting people know that they have a power right. in leadership. Okay. All right. So that's beautiful. You got to like that. Can I ask you about another one of your tenants that uh, I think some of our okay. leaders miss? To take care of our people. Some of the, especially the younger leaders, you know, they kind of miss the ideal of they need to take care of the people. I think they start pointing toward taking care of the profits. Tell us about that tenant and how you apply that. Well, uh, that is probably one of my favorite tenets that I subscribe to. And, and when I was writing my book, I was doing it from the first person with an understanding, like, here was my journey. Here's how I discovered what was important to me. Mm -hmm. This might inform your approach to discovering what's important to you. But when I was done, I realized the tenets that I had fleshed out to include take care of your people. Everybody should be doing that. That's just good leadership. So the book concept change from here's me and how I did it to here are nine tenets that every leader should embrace. One of which is the, um, excuse me, is taking care of your people. So how it manifests itself is it's going to look different for Glenn than it does for Dan. It, it's because our situations are different. You've got different values. You've got different skills, but at the end of the day, we can both take care of our people. So what's that mean? That means if you've got a team around you, you've you're maybe in an organization, you've got somebody above you in the organization, you've got people below, you've got people beside you, know your team. That's step number one, know them. When you're in business, yes, the, the uh, bottom dollar is what drives everything, but your most important asset in business, in education, in a nonprofit, in anything we do, your most important asset are the is the human capital, the people with whom you work. And if we're looking through the lens of an employer, it's your employees. They are what makes your company go. So take care of them. It could be something as simple as sending notes of appreciation. For years, when I've had executive level team meetings, we started out sharing verbal celebrations of what's going on. While we were doing that, we were all writing notes of appreciation to people we'd encountered in the last two or three weeks who were worthy of our praise, our gratitude, whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's a simple way. It doesn't take a lot of time. It was at the first five to 10 minutes of every time we had an executive uh, team meeting where we're discussing greatness and we're also just writing out notes. So it didn't cost of an, a note card and a little bit of time in a meeting and you're making connections with people. It's about getting out of your desk or out of, 
out of your office and going to where the people are and talking to them on their terms. One of the best things I, I love to do, and if you've followed me on LinkedIn for the last several months, I've been talking every Friday about spreading the love. I set Fridays aside to spread the love. What's that look like in my world? That means I'm making connections or reconnecting with people in my personal and professional networks, checking on them, supporting them, showing them that I truly care, and just reestablishing or strengthening relationships. And when you've got relationships and you take care of your people, there's nothing collectively we can't conquer. We've got issues at hand. We've got a collective approach to, to attack it. We've got a personnel issue where it's a little bit sticky and I've got to address something with somebody. I've spent my career establishing relationships. So when I have to address something with somebody, it's done easier than it would have been if I'm just a person, a suit sitting in an office. Well, here's the question I have. And you might not have an answer for it, so I really haven't come up with a solid answer yet. Why do our leaders not do that? Why do they not take care of the people? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, from my experience, um, getting back to what I sort of initially said at the beginning, where I've encountered people in leadership positions who don't really think about it because it's just part of their day-to-day -day job. I myself experienced that as well. When I was a young and non-commissioned officer in the United States Army, it was just part of the job. And it wasn't something upon which we focused on a daily basis. It was just something you did. So it wasn't in our conscious thought process. So couple that idea with the fact that there are myriad tasks to perform at every level of an organization. And oftentimes, leaders get bogged down with tasks on a to-do list. You know, here's a tangible thing, this this email I have to create, this report I have, these are tangible things on my list that I can complete and cross off. Nowhere typically on those lists uh, is mm. a statement that says, go out and make good relationships with your people. Yeah. You know, that's, that's an interesting point because if we had the ability to put a checklist on there to say, okay, did you talk to 10 people today? And you saw a tangible, you felt you saw a tangible immediate result for it. Maybe more people would do it. Right. It should be on the top of everybody's to-do list every day. Make yeah. connections with people. Yeah, absolutely should be. Absolutely should be. You know, um, this is kind of a sore subject too. One of your other tenants talks about sales, tenant of sales. That's kind of a sore subject, I think, in a lot of ways, because I, I'm not, well, maybe I'm just speaking for myself there, but this ideal of selling doesn't seem to float very well with um, a lot of people that I, you know, they don't want to be sold to and they don't want to be salespeople. They don't want to have that title. But talk to us about your idea of tenants of sales. Um, so sales is an icky word. Um, as I progressed through my entrepreneurial career, we initially started back in 2019 and I had the mindset that we were consultants. Well, in order to be a consultant, you've sort of got to sell yourself. And then in the last year, I've really uh, had a huge paradigm shift based on a lot of learning I've incurred as a business person for the first time in my life. And I realized it's not about sales. It's about networking. Um, it, that It comes down to networking. And it's it's actually it goes right back to taking care of your people. You've got wow. a, a professional network that you've built over the years. You show interest. You've established relationships from that network of people and the approach you've taken with your network comes the ability to sell to people. Okay. All right. So 
or convince people to follow your viewpoint or, okay, that makes a lot of sense. You know, what else is starting to make sense? And I want to ask you about that in a couple seconds, but what else is starting to make sense is that you don't have a process here. You have a system, it feels like, um, you know, um, kind of an easy to implement system. Because I'm looking at each of your tenants and each of them are just like, okay, there's not a process, but there is what you have to do to get it done, implement it. So like the one like lead, like King Arthur. Talk to me about that one. Just the right title on. alone hits me. So, so you're right. Um, I've never been one to sit down and read a leadership book and say, you know, here's the 10 step process to leadership and follow these steps and you're going to be successful. Because what I've found in my career is it's very difficult to learn good leadership from other leaders. And then I also know I can't lead like other leaders. Put those two ideas together. That's why I can't learn good leadership from other people because I can't lead like them. So I can't follow someone else's 10-step process and make mm. it my own. But what I can do is offer up nine tenets that allow people to embrace them, enact, embrace them, adapt them to their situation, getting back to uh, taking care of your people, how I do it's going to look different than you. And that leads us to lead like King Arthur and how all of us lead like King Arthur is going to look different because of our situations, because of who we are, because of our team. So leading like King Arthur, most people, at least what I'm experiencing now, or mm. maybe the Gen Xers and older, know what King Arthur is all about. And King Arthur, whether he was real or not, is really not, not too sure about that one. But the, the legend is that he had the Knights of the Round Table and all his trusted advisors who were in and of their own right worthy of praise and were worthy of being leaders. Yeah. He was the king. They were his trusted advisors sitting around this round table. They all had input on things. They shared ideas. They discussed. They were equals around that table. At the end of the day, the king, King Arthur, may still have to own the decision or make the decision, but his decision is going to be better because of the advisors around that table who gave them their point of view. So. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just All right. Yeah. So the more now I ideally you've got a team other than just yourself. And if you've got mm -hmm. a team, at least one teammate, ideally that teammate's not wired like you are. Because if you have somebody who's wired like you and your teammates and you're doing something, you're not going to have a lot of di uh, divergent thought processes. Yes. Because right. you're too much alike. But if you've got a team of eight, 10, 12, or four or five, you should have a variety of points of view in there and the points of view are based on gender ethnicity race religion age all the things that go into making human beings individuals that will go into their point of view so if you have a team of people around you that you turn to for advisement or to make a collective decision you are going to be better off than making those decisions in isolation you know I started to laugh and had to choke it back because it reminded me when you said age, it immediately started thinking, boy, there's some managers, leaders out there who are saying, no, I'm not working with this millennial age. They're ridiculous. They're just something about millennials bother people. But I will say this, and I say it in every chance I get. Millennials believe in collaboration, not competition, and collaboration gets more done. But that's not what we're talking about. Right, absolutely. The one thing I want to ask you about, because when I was looking at that and learning about King Arthur, this idea of the round table that was kind of metaphorically to me saying okay, everybody 
is not like one of those long conference board tables, but everybody in this circle. And I think that's kind of what you mean. Mike, are you coaching me right? Am I hearing the coaching right? No, everybody yeah. has input, even though, because there's no head of the table, but even though it may also follow me. Right. We've got the round table going on. So um, that's where I took that. And I, I don't know if that's 100% correct, if that's what you meant. Yeah, it is. That's exactly what I meant. I've got a different way to describe it, too. I mentioned at the beginning that I found that Gen Xers and older typically mm -hmm. understand when I say lead like King Arthur and I describe it, they get it. Yeah. Here's a different way to look at it, and it's King Arthur in the tissue box. So about four years ago, I was in a meeting with some other executives. They were presidents of companies, CEOs, um, executive directors, and we were around a rectangular table. But two of, two of my colleagues were talking across the table from one another, and they were both talking about a problem they had with the same client and it, the same issue, two different worlds. And it both, mm. it blew up both in their faces. It, like neither one mm. of them were happy with the outcome. One of them said, well, maybe I should have done sort of, you know, halfway what you did, you know, maybe we should have come together on that. We would have had a better result. So about an hour and a half later, after thinking about it for an hour and a half, it was my turn to talk. And I say, hey, we need to go back to the comment that occurred about an hour and a half ago. And there happened to be a tissue box on the table in front of them. I said, let's assume the tissue box, it represents the right answer. And it's sitting in the middle of the table, which he indicated might have been a better answer, an average of the two approaches. So right. picture you making a decision and the decision is a, a tissue box and you've got, you're hugging it and it's in your lap and you're not letting it go. But all of a sudden you start engaging with your team and talking about it and you hear from over here and she says one thing and all of a sudden that tissue box, which is the right answer, becomes more of an average of our answers and it gets away from me and maybe a little closer to her. Then you go around the table, and if you've got eight or nine people around the table, that tissue box is constantly moving. When you're done discussing it, the tissue box is going to be placed in a better spot than it would have. It could be right in the leader's lap, but you're never going to know with that until you validate that when you go around the room. You know, that's um, kind of brilliant in a lot of ways, because even if you take this tissue box and it's going around the room, oftentimes in the group think area, you no. Know, two or three people dominate the conversation. But if we have the tissue box and everybody's holding the tissue box, they need to pipe in. Right. Because that's where we get the difference in because it's the, you know, the the diversity of thought. Right. And that's a lot of power. And so the round tables that way or just uh, sitting down, I like that. That's a, some, that's a point that we all need to write down. Maybe that's an exercise we do when we do the brainstorming, which never works but just pass the tissue box around. That's a great way to look at it because everybody's going to get that. Yep. Pretty much. Okay, so let me prepare what I'm going to say because the tissue box is coming to me. Right, right. <laughs> coming my way. Okay, so tell me about Like a Buffalo Incorporated. Why did you go there? Why are you using that? That seems like it's a nice, great title, but it also feels like a tenant that you're teaching too. Well, it sort of is. Leading Like a Buffalo Incorporated was created um, in July of 2022 based on prodding from a business coach that I have who was working with me through my initial company, Dynamico, and compensation and how we help employers make connections with their employees. And there's so much we could unpack with that, but that's for a later episode. Uh, mm. 
when we are talking about that, leadership is a part of attracting and retaining great people because you've got to have a, an environment conducive to employee satisfaction. So if you don't have good leadership, you're not going to have a great culture, a great environment. You're going to not attract people because you've got a bad reputation and you're going to keep great people. So when we started talking about leadership, she saw my passion and challenged me to harness it. And for a couple of years, I'd been doing it in the background through Dynamico, but I wanted to put it on the, the forefront. So I created the new company, Living Like a Buffalo. Be the Buffalo is one of my tenants. Um, it's tattooed on my arm. Be the Buffalo. Oh, okay. Um, it's one of my leadership tenants. So leading like a Buffalo is how we approach life. My partner and I, we both subscribe to that tenant and you need to lead like a Buffalo. It exudes active leadership. Being the Buffalo is approaching situations and addressing them as opposed to running from them. And we've all, nobody that I'm aware of likes confrontation, but I address it. I have confrontation because I like it behind me as opposed to in front of, in front of you. Yeah. So that's being the Buffalo. Um, a way to look at it is if you've ever, and, and every time I've told this story, people can relate to it. And all your listeners, I'm sure will be able to relate. If you've got a, a something to address with a loved one, a boss, a coworker, a friend, a coach, a teacher, usually... 99% of the time, the dread leading up the, to the discussion is worse than worse. the discussion itself. Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, be the buffalo. When you have the requisite knowledge to have the discussion, don't avoid it. Go have it. Get it behind you. Because that dread that you have go, leading up to it is going to be worse than the actual discussion itself. And yeah, and it leads to a lot of stress, which leads to health issues. And it leads to a lot of uh, yeah. procrastination which leads to productivity issues. So, and that's great because you think about the, the animal, the buffalo, you know, they don't run from things. They don't charge into them either until they feel threatened by it. Yeah, so that's, on the storms on the plane, they, they, the males, the buffalo charge it to get through it. And that's where the term be the buffalo came from. Get through yeah. the storm. See, and that's pretty smart. It's pretty smart. I'm going to ask you a question. I know you don't really want to answer, but what are the nine leadership tenets and which one of those is your favorite child? Be the Buffalo is, uh, well, let me back up. So I, I had a, you asked me sort of where, like, where did leading like a Buffalo come from? I have a colleague who's been a client for three years and we were talking about a month ago about my new company. And he asked me, or I asked him, what do you suppose the name of the company is going to be? He said, I don't know, but it's going to be something with a buffalo. <laughs> yes, it is. Know, yeah. So I, people know me for being the buffalo just yeah. because I don't, again, I don't like confrontation. And I handle people with kid gloves. And I, I most times have good results when it comes time to have those discussions. Okay. But people see me charge into them or walk into them without avoiding them. And that's what I'm known for because I don't like stuff in front of me. I want it behind me, get through it. So I'm known for that. So that whether that's the most important one or not, I have no idea, but be the Buffalo is one of them. Lead like King Arthur, we had to talk about. Taking care of your people, be beyond reproach. Love that mm -hmm. one because yeah. if you're beyond reproach and people question you and question your morals and ethics and your motives, that's their issue, not yours. If you're beyond reproach and they're questioning your moral, deal with it, Karen. I don't want to hear it because I, I'm ethically and morally aligned. I see why that would be a favorite, but that's really, I think, truthfully speaking, hard to do. 
Yeah, it is. And what I when I get in my soapbox and teach that one, it's like, all right, we need to act ethically and morally and have no ulterior motives anywhere because if we do it over here. And then over here, we act in a, an appropriate manner. People question us. That's our fault because we've trained them to think that we're going to do, do something unethically or immorally or we've got an ulterior motive. But if we do everything above board, and I ain't saying transparent because I don't like the word because people who spout transparent usually aren't. I'm just talking yeah. acting ethically and morally with purpose. And you don't have ulterior motives. So when people question you, they've got a problem. They're looking for something that's not there. It is hard to do, but if you always, it's like embracing the truth. If you always tell the truth, it's an easy story to tell because you don't have to remember anything other than the truth. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Same idea. Actions speak louder than words is is the next one. Um, Recognizing inequity and fixing it is huge. And I've been on that journey for 30-some years since I was in the Army and first faced it. Um, So I really had some great learning in the last three or four years to the point where I do a lot of uh, presentations and discussions about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and through a a hiring and retention and compensation lens. Hmm. So that one's huge. Accountability and accountability is a huge word that most people don't like, but it's accountability as an employee to people above me, to people below me, to those I serve, for the people at the top of the organization, for their stakeholders, for the organization, their clients, their mission, their vision. So it's accountability is an all-encompassing 360-degree thing. And without accountability, you've got nothing. You've got a mess. Because if you don't yeah. if you don't address something, hold people yeah. accountable, you, people impl- uh, infer that you condone it. Well, yes. And th- th- you're right. Uh, that's a good way to put it. They infer, they infer that it's okay because you haven't yep. said anything, you haven't held them accountable. Plus, Sometimes they really don't know whether it's okay or not, depending right. on what it is. They, well, it must be okay. Right. Didn't say anything, so. Okay. And none of these typically act in, uh, in isolation one another because yeah. you can see where accountability and be the buffalo go hand in hand. I'm going to hold you accountable, and it's not going to be once you do it 10 more times, I encounter the issue, I'm going to hold you accountable now so that you know not to do it the subsequent nine times. Well, so me and the buffalo and accountability go hand in hand. And so, the, so far, all of them go right back to take care of your people. They all go there. If I'm going to take care of my people, I got to hold them accountable. Exactly. Okay, so for the good of them, them, for the good of their team, for the good of the yeah. cause. Yeah. And they got to be able to confront the problems and battle through the problems and stand stand down when they need to. Exactly. Okay, so I like that. I like that. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. That just hit me. That's all right. That's, that's brilliant, I think. Own it is another one. People ask me, own uh, what? Everything. Your words, your actions, the words and actions of your team, own your behavior. If you're online and you're doing a podcast and you screw up some words and have to redo something, own the fact that you're human. You did that at the beginning of this podcast. So perfect. Uh, own everything. And I've, I've built trust and gained credibility in my life when I've owned a mistake or poor behavior. Like, yeah, guilty as charged. I made that mistake or I did something. I did that and it was boneheaded. Done. Question about that. I understand ownership, uh, my behavior and things like that. But oftentimes I've heard people say, well, you have to own the fact that I don't feel good today. And it's okay for me to slough off. I'm being uh, authentic when I tell you I don't feel very good. I don't feel like giving 100% because I didn't get enough sleep last night. 
there is to me a little bit of an issue with that though because if they just because they don't feel good we still need to hold them accountable yeah you you're right and honestly this is not something i that example rings true in my ears and it's not something i actually address in my book because I hadn't thought about including it. But what I learned from my wife is, you know, you've got your home life and then you've got your work. As you transition your commute from from home to work on a daily basis, you leave that stuff behind and you enter a bright, shiny new day and you're ready to give 100%. And if you can't do that, that's your issue. No one else has to deal with that. And you've got mm -hmm. to own that. You as an employer, if someone says to you and they work for you, hey, I can't give 100% today, I didn't sleep. All right, well, that's why I give you paid time off days. You need a, a mental or physical health day, you should have called in. But the fact that you didn't, you're here, it's time to perform at 100%. And if you can't, I'm perfectly okay with you taking yourself home. That's why you have paid time off days. There's your. That's a way of taking care of people. Your system took care of the person, say, hey, We've got these paid time off days. You Personally, now I'm holding you accountable. Take advantage of what we're giving you. We recognize you're human. You're not at 100% today. Take some time. Yeah, okay. Because we're going to pay you the same amount whether you're 25, 50, 75% versus 100%. Right. So why we don't deduct your salary by that. So take your pay, take your time off. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I want to ask you this, though. And I'm going to hold your feet to the fire just a hair here. What are you doing right now, right now to help leaders? I know you're doing podcasts and that helps, but what are you doing right now? I work with clients in a coaching and mentoring and honestly a consulting lens. I was uh, having a discussion with some leaders the other day and I intimated to them that what I'm encountering is there's a lot of entrepreneurs and other people who have excelled in doing their profession. And then they said, all right, I'm going to harness this and create a business around this profession that I'm good in. I've got a client who's great at what he did, and now he's a business owner and he's got eight employees and expanding to 50. Mm -hmm. He's never thought about things through a management lens of what's starting from nothing and having, what does a team of 50 look like? Should there okay. be sub, you know, teams within the team and how, do, what type of benefits and how do I structure comp? So that's the wow, true wow. consulting lens that I bring to the table as a former executive level employee in school districts. And then now that you've got teams, I've got the coaching and mentoring ability because I've been there, done that for the last 30 plus years, starting in the army and then in public education where I've led teams. So mm -hmm. there's a lot that goes into leadership and I constantly am inter interacting with other leaders to help them harness the power of me. Another thing that I found out is when I have I, I work with C-suite executives who bring have me work with their lower level managers or mid-level managers or some of their, their fellow executives for the simple fact that a lot of C-suite people can say the things I do. But as you may be aware, if you've got a consultant coming in from more than 15 miles away, by default, he or she's an expert. Because, yeah. oh, we're bringing this person in from Wisconsin. He must be. He's yeah. not from our state, so he must be an expert. So I can get a lot of value out of that as well, because I come in and maybe say the same things the leader who was, employs them was saying, but yeah. because I'm an outsider, all of a sudden they're listening. It's strange how that works, but it's also strange how that affects you because you feel like the expert walking in. 
Right, right. They wouldn't hire you if you weren't the expert. So right. let me drive you a little bit deeper, though. All right, so I understand you look, you're a consultant. You help with that. Tell us about some of the offerings you have, workshops you're doing, things like that. I think our listeners want to know what are you doing that they can get a hold of that might help them become better leaders. Right on. Well, I could be reached at dan at leadingbuffalo.com. And that Our will be in the description. Leading Like a Buffalo. So you can mm-hmm. jump on the web. It's leading like leadingbuffalo.com, dan at leadingbuffalo.com. My contact information is on the website. And I work individually with people. I work in small groups. And I also host an executive cohort that's by application only because one of the huge assets that I have that a lot of people don't have the time or the resources to embrace is a network. So mm. I created this network of other executives, whether they're executive directors, CEOs, presidents, um, get together and just share leadership because leadership is leadership, regardless if you're in private industry, you're in nonprofit, you're in public entity, uh-huh. leadership is leadership. We've all got the same issues. And there's a way to get executives together because being a C-suite executive or an executive director, a CEO, president, whatever, that could be lonely. And there aren't, you don't have contemporaries within your organization. So you don't sometimes don't want to go to your executive team and say, Hey team, I have this quandary I want to address. So I've created this safe environment with other C-suite executives to come in and share points of view, ideas, troubleshoot and learn from one another so it's about learning and supporting other executives so um a lot of my clients are one-on-one coaching and mentoring some are coaching mentoring and consulting then i've got small group through that same lens and then i've got the executive cohort as well can people do you have like a course offering something people can go online and take that could help them or not yet i haven't built that it's all hands-on one-on-one or me with a team versus you know plug and play type stuff it's in development but right now it's me serving the needs of our clients okay all right all right so that's we're getting a good feel for what you're doing right now and i'm just going to drill just a little bit deeper people want to get better as leaders if you had a like I said, a uh, easy to implement plan. I think people like to hear about that. Do you have an easy to implement way to, I mean, the tenants are great and we talked about them. Tell us about that easy to implement this thing. I mean, right what? on. So all the tenants will lead to success, but the first step is really understanding who you are as a person. And I said this before, more importantly than who, why you are that person. Let me give you an example. I was working with one of my uh, coworkers about four years ago, and we had this exact conversation. And Mm -hmm. I said, before you even start, I know if we were to identify your values, you can tell you will tell me one of your top five values is your, is family. She said, well, how, well, yeah, of course it is. How do you know that? I said, well, I'm going to give you about 73 examples of how I know that just from the last week. And just tell me, so she, (laughs) I mean, she lived, breathed and her family. Like that's all she talked about, which was great. And I knew that was important to her. She's not wrong for that. Family's not in my top five. I'm not wrong for that. We just have different values. So then I asked her, you knew it was family was one of them. Why is it family? Hmm. She looked like, 
what do you mean? I said, well, why yeah. is Stanley yeah, in your top five? It's that's not in my top five. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. make you right and me wrong or vice versa. We're just different. But why it just is it makes you different? Yeah. And yeah. she she looked at me like I had three eyes, like, why, why leave me alone? I don't want to have to look <laughs> and figure that out. Don't look at deep into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's the struggle I encounter with not only emerging leaders, but also evolving leaders who are at the executive level. When I start talking to my clients, say, let's explore who you are and more importantly, why? Oh, there's all sorts of squirming going going on when we do that because most people don't want to look that deep within themselves because, you know, a C-suite executive has gotten through 30 years of uh, employment just knowing who they are. Well, it got me this far. I don't know, but I don't care about the why. I just know the who. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about mm-hmm. the why. When you okay. embrace your why, you become more complete. You become able to better understand who you are and better be a better version of you because you know why you're wired that way. Okay. Then you encounter things like be the buffalo or leading like King Arthur or taking care of your people. And we have we start examining what does that look like in you, the client's world? How can you take care of your people? Because you may ask a good question. How so many? Why do so many leaders ignore taking care of their people? And I, what I encounter with some of my clients, like, well, I don't have time in the day. Well, I have a colleague from back in the day said, the good news is there's 24 hours in every day. The bad news is there's 24 hours in every day. Because if you're in your office when your people are working, you're in your office doing tasks that could wait until 10 o'clock that night when you don't have people in your office. Maybe maybe go talk to the people and do the task when they're not around. That's I mean, that's how I help my clients examine their world, their perspective, their situation and say, all right, this is why you are this person. Let's talk about how these tenants are going to manifest themselves in your life. Love it. Because those again, these tenants are all connected with each other. Uh, They are. I think it's really powerful. You know. I want to just ask you because you're doing you do keynotes and you do workshops and you do consulting um keynotes and workshops consultings do you have different packages for that do you have different discounts uh, explain a little bit about that if you will yeah i basically i do there's different pricing i also do different pricing for public versus um public private. versus private because yeah. of the you know hands are tied to some degree in public so there's a bit of a discount but what I do for people who interview me and their listeners to bringing value to your podcast and core your your listeners and viewers, even if it's not morning when they are listening to this, yeah, even though uh, it's not, <laughs> I will offer each the first five people who contact me. I'll offer them a free one hour coaching session to see if it's a good fit. We can explore some things and see where it goes. And if, if I can help them in that one hour, that's all we do. Great. If I, they want to explore something further, also great. And then through my other company, I've offhandedly mentioned a couple of times that I work with employers to help them make connections with their employees. That's via custom built compensation systems on easy to use software. So I will offer 20% off our licensing fee on that to any of your viewers who mention your podcast when they contact me. But you can reach me at dan at leadingbuffalo.com for either service and the connections we help employers make with their employees via compensation systems has been um, transformational for our clients. I was just on LinkedIn this morning talking about, dear employers, if you're offering signing bonuses, stop it because you're just throwing money away. A better system would be to create a compensation system that 
rewards people for the great things they're doing for you. So if you're dropping $5,000 into a signing bonus, put that same five grand into a compensation system, hire people who, who are going to do the things you want them to do. You turn around and pay them for them and you still spent the five grand, but you found people who fit you and you'll be able to retain them. And it made a connection. We need to step back because what you just said, um, it's going to be controversial, but before we step back and ask you that question, is Dan at leading like a Buffalo? No, leading Buffalo. Leading Dan Buffalo. at leading Buffalo.com. Okay. All right, so we're going to put that up right now so everybody can see that. And you said the first five, and Dan's going to hold you to that. So, But here it's up for you so you guys can see it. You have that, so now I'll ask my question about that. It's controversial for you to say don't pay the um, the bonuses, the hiring bonuses. is like a waste of money. It is. It, it's a gimmick. Well, it's a gimmick, but isn't that something we got to deal with right now with this uh, the great quit uh, gr the great quitting and then the um, I forget the the other term, but I the great resignation and the great reshuffle. Yeah, there you go. That's I don't think things. so. It's about being in the market, and then it's about attracting candidates who fit you. And with our system, we work with our our clients, typically employers who are going to articulate, they're going to qualify and then quantify the great things they want their employees to do. So for example, if you want specific certifications, abilities, skills, degrees, um, what you expect their reviews to look like, whether they're just using a four point scale with three being satisfactory and four being exemplary. If you expect threes across the board, all those are the things that we can put in a compensation system. Mm -hmm. So you met back, you, you mentioned millennials about 20 minutes ago. The great thing about millennials and the younger generation is they want to make a difference. They want to make a difference and they want their difference acknowledged. Plus, they want to make connections with their employers. And our compensation philosophy, our compensation approach allows to, you can check all those boxes because we're, what they don't want to hear Come in at, I'm just going to use numbers, come in at $25 an hour, and in 10 years, you'll be at the top of the pay scale at $35 an hour without any type of, of evaluation in regard to whether you're good, bad, or in between. As long as you're not terrible, you're still going to be here. So what we do is say, all right, what are the things that you value in a, an employee? Had a discussion with a guy who uh, owns 20 convenience stores, and he couldn't understand what I said. I said, are... Are there people in your organization who are more valuable because they were willing to work second or third shift or weekends? Are they more valuable than your eight to five Monday through Friday people? Well, yeah, there's an example of what you could put in. Do you have people who exude great customer service? Getting back to what I said at the beginning, where we've got people exuding leadership skills and leadership tenants without being in leadership potential. We've all been to a place of employment where, uh, or like a service industry, a, a, wait, a waiter, uh, a maitre d, somebody working in a convenience store who's gone out of the, above and beyond. And it's just like, I want to go to do business here because of how great these people are. Well, there's exemplary performance. They're taking care of their people to whip their, their customers when I'm in there. They should create compensation systems mm. that speak to that. So instead of saying, Come in at $25 an hour. After one year, you're going to be at 26. After No, come in at 25. But if you can do these four or five things, you're actually going to start at 27.50. And if you do these other things next year, it'll be at 32 something. And that's the connection because we are helping employers recognize the great 
things their employees are doing. They want to work. They just don't want a system that says, I'm going to be working next to a guy who's been here 20 years and he's at the top of the pay scale. And just because he's been here for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And and coasting. And I'm here killing it. And I'm making 67% of what he's making because I've been here less time, but I'm a more valuable employee. That's what we help employers do. You know, there's a survey uh, by Gallup that that talked about the millennials. And I think what you're saying backs that up 100%. The biggest problem millennials have on the job, one of the biggest ones, top things in the top three, simply that they are not getting feedback. And this idea of, okay, yeah, you can can grow up the scale here because if you hit this point, this point, this point, and we got to check it every two or three, four months, see where you are, but we're giving you feedback. Then they like that a little bit better. And it gives them a little bit more ownership over their actions when they realize like that action did work or did not work. Right. That really helps a lot there. Okay. Yeah. And what we're finding is our clients, you know, you're building systems based on the ideal employees, some of whom may not be employed by you right now. You may have people who don't fit you. And we've had clients. Yeah. They've gone through a great process and engaged their employees to create systems. And then some employees said, you know, I appreciate the process we just went through, but this isn't me. I'm going to go over here and work. They've then taken those systems in which they've, in essence, articulated their values. They go to the market and say, here's what we want you to do, candidates. Candidates will see that and they will apply because they fit them. Yeah. They get those candidates hired. They deliver on the things that were articulated in the compensation system. They get paid for those things. They're not at the bottom of the wage scale. And it's a win-win. You've got a happy employee and you've built a system that rewards greatness. You've got employees re- delivering on the greatness. Win-win. That's what it's all yeah. about. Yeah. And you have to look at that. Like I said, it's a win-win. You know, it's, it's got to be. The employee's going to win, and you're going to win. And like you said, uh, it builds that connection where that employee doesn't yeah, want Yeah, and that's to what they're looking for. They want to make a connection. It's not about just having a job. It's about making a difference and making a connection. Okay. You know, I have one more question, and I know we've gone past our time, but I want to just ask you, if you have a moment to answer this question. It's not an easy question, you know, and I didn't tell you what it was in advance. You didn't get a chance to prepare for it. But here's the question I want to ask you. What question did I not ask you that I should have asked you? What's your legacy? Ah, okay. Okay. So let me ask, what is your legacy? What do you want that legacy to shape up to be? That is a great question. (laughs) So my legacy is, and you know, I, without a lot of thought, I offhandedly mentioned this about 15 years ago and it was my gut telling me this was my answer, and I I was right when I just came. So when I see my clients my, that I've mentored, coached, consulted, have a positive effect on their people and their organizations, that's my legacy. No one needs to know who Dan Kopp was. No one cares. It doesn't matter. But when I've got clients spread across the country who are positively affecting change, think about the inequity tenant. Identify inequity and address it. If I've got clients across the country doing that, there Mm. is my legacy. It isn't about me. It's not about what I've done. It's about my clients I've coached, mentored, and consulted and what they're doing to uh, affect positive change. Wow. Wow, that is a powerful legacy because you're 
Yeah, that's that's powerful. I have to really like that. That's good. It's kind of got me almost speechless because what you're doing fits into what I'm kind of thinking that we all should be doing, helping leaders be better so they can help others be better. Absolutely. So, I had awesome. actually was on a podcast right after the shooting of Uvalde a, a month and a half ago. Yeah. And he asked me, how should we fix what's going on? I said, I can't. In, like I don't. I'm not a decision maker. I'm not law enforcement. I'm not in politics. I I can't. What I can do is within my circle of influence, within my network, take care of my people and spread the love and consciously talk to them about caring for others and supporting others. And he happened to be in Texas, the guy who was interviewing me. And mm -hmm. I said, I started in Wisconsin. You started in Texas. Is it going to be? Is it going to be fixed overnight? But maybe in two or three years, our circle of influence has grown that all of a sudden we're meeting in Missouri and our circles are overlapping in Missouri as we continue to spread the love, as we continue to network and support one another and break down the divisiveness and break down the walls and ensure equity across the board. That's what I can do. And when I see my clients doing that, that's success in my mind. That is success. That is success. And that is the right way to judge success, not how much money you're making or how right. many things you have. Great way. Right. I want to give you the final word here. Again, I appreciate you taking the time and going a little bit over time with us. I greatly appreciate that. Um, you have some great tenants, uh, some great books. So you get the final word. All yours. The floor is yours. Right, right on. Well, um, I appreciate the opportunity not only to be on the podcast, but also to have the final word. Um, so I've got a book on the market uh, coming out or came out in September 2022 called The Power of Me Leadership. And it's nine tenets for every leader. So I, you heard the tenets today. Um, I dissect them. I show you where I've learned most of them. I'm a work in progress. I went down this path of self-discovery back in 2010 with one of my partners who uh, my current partner who i hired at the time who unbeknownst to me was coaching me because he was trying he kept asking me why 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 mm. and after hearing that about 83 times in the first two weeks of working together i started answering his question so since <laughs> um fall of 2010 i've been on this self-discovery path and i don't have all the whys yet but I know I'm a much better version of me. And that's what that book's all about in regard to these are the nine tenants that are in the background in my mind that I don't consciously necessarily think about on a daily basis when I'm interacting with people, but what drives my actions on a daily basis. Those are what the tenants are all about. This is a way to approach life. It's not a nine-step process. There are just nine things that you should can in, enact in your situation, in your world, to be a better mm -hmm. leader. Again, you asked me a great question earlier. What was step number one in all this? Step number one is figure out your why. I can help you with that. You can reach me at dan at leadingbuffalo.com. Love to hear from you. Even if you just have a question about something and you need some help, I'm here to serve. If I can help somebody, feel free to reach out. Okay. You know, I said I was going to give you the last word, but I forgot about something. Situational leadership. Okay. Tell us real quick what that means. And then, because that's the question I had on my mind that I wanted to ask. Situational leadership while focusing on those you serve. Right on. So uh, situational leadership is based on the situation at hand. Who's involved? What's going on? What level of the organization? What occurred? All, everything that goes into a unique situation, that's 
how I gauge my response. I don't sit back and go through my Rolodex and say, all right, what, what response do I want to do now? I just have, I trust my gut, one of my tenants. I know the response warranted based on the situation at hand. So some people I encounter, and this is great. You you call yourself a servant leader. Great. But at times, you've got to do something other than serve. There are times where accountability has to come into play. There are times when coaching has to come. I mean, servant leader is a good word to use, but it's there's so much more to leadership than just to pigeonholing yourself into one type of leadership. Some people mm -hmm. live their life as an autocratic leader. I can be autocratic with the best of them, but it typically doesn't get results that you want. So uh, there's an example of when I need to be autocratic, picture an emergency. If there's an emergency in the building, I'm going to be autocratic yeah. and we're going to get some stuff resolved. Right. But if right. it's just a decision, I'm, I'm reverting to King Arthur. If it's a decision that needs to be made, I, I don't act in isolation because I know I'm not the smartest person in the room. And I know that others have points of view that can inform me. So just situ depends on the situation. So you embrace that. We have the same situation in front of us. We're still mm -hmm. going to address it differently because you're a different person than I am got different values you've got different skills but what you do is going to be different than i but let's say you have an identical situation but it involves different people a week from now you're right, going right. to approach that one differently because there's different people involved love it love it, it even goes so far as to like where are you going to handle an issue i rarely called people on the carpet when i was in executive level positions because it was counterproductive I always, not always, usually went to a person's place of employment to have a discussion, whether it's an office cubicle, break room, work area, whatever. Let's talk here because the second you bring someone into your office, all, all rational thought, it, yeah. I mean, their defense mechanisms are out. So I'm going to go to their turf, have a discussion so they can focus on the message. I, I refer to it as bringing people full circle. You've got a, a tenuous topic to discuss heightened here's the topic and people go through this circle of emotions where they're oh my and crazy and uh, all right we've talked enough that we're back to the the topic at hand let's resolve this amicably and move on so mm -hmm. it depends on the situation there are times where people are in my office there are times i go to them it, it what who's involved what, mm -hmm. what's what occurred was it 10 times or was it one? All those things go into each situation. And there's no there's no blueprint or game plan to where you can leadership 101. Step number one, do this. What if this happens and you turn to page 93? Oh, follow these eight steps. No, there's nothing like that. You've got to walk the walk, talk the talk, subscribe to tenants, know why you are that person, and let the situation dictate how you respond. Wow. Dan, thank you very, very much. This has been one of the better episodes, I believe. A lot of great education here. Um, your offer, again, let me put up that email address so everybody can see it. But thank you very much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you as well and pleasure meeting you. So thank you very much.